Hi, icons. It's Danny Pellegrino from the pop culture podcast, Everything Iconic. And I love Nordstrom. No place better to shop, particularly during the holiday season, because they have everything. They have holiday decor at Nordstrom. They have cozy cardigans from Barefoot Dreams, my fave. They have cold weather attire, party attire, plus free shipping and free returns, free store pickup. You can also purchase a recycled fabric gift bag so your item arrives festive and wrapped. So check out Nordstrom this holiday season, a one-stop shop. You can explore more at Nordstrom in-store or online at Nordstrom.com. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people pitch and swap three kinds of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable, to see if at the end of the pod, each person says, that's my kind of weird. I'm your host, Anthony Pollock, and joining me today is Jay Schiffman. He's a podcaster. He's a mental health and substance misuse and recovery speaker. He's also a coach and a consultant. Jay are you ready to get weird with me today? <laughs> I've been waiting all day. <laughs> all right, Jay, uh, present your something watchable. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so glad we're starting on this one. So my something watchable is the late 80s baseball movie Major League. I want to put together a team Incredible. Help us yes. To Miami. You want us to lose? We've been losing. What I want is for us to finish dead last. This year, the Cleveland Indians have a multi-talented team. The first offering, just a bit outside. They're masters of the sacrifice. He's looking to sacrifice. So now I have to say, if you know you're not in the U.S. and and, and that probably makes this a little bit more of a leap. Um, but for 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 people who grew up in like, baseball, that is that where you kick the ball. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fair. Um, I grew up playing baseball, and so this was very important to me. Uh, and and you know, baseball movies at the time tended to be very, you know, like childish. Angels in the outfield. Uh, is a is a perfect example or they were like the opposite of that they were legendary you know like for the love of the game and uh uh, uh what's the one with kevin costner field of dreams right all right yeah, yeah and then in the middle is major league which is this just outlandishly funny oddball comedy based on yeah. a, a team in my home state of ohio so you can understand why young Jay just loved this movie. So you grew up playing a lot of baseball or I or did was it just sort of the message behind the movie. Yeah. So I grew up playing a lot of baseball. Uh, I actually played through high school, had a chance to play in college, but did not do so. Uh, as the oldest of four boys, baseball was really big in my house. My dad was a former player, you know, through high school himself. Uh, we always went to to Reds games, which is the, the team in, in Cincinnati, my hometown, Cincinnati Reds. But this movie features uh, a team that is actually changing their name now. They they used to be the Indians, which is an offensive term for for uh native uh Americans or or the uh, original people here. And so mm. because of that this this organization is finally after decades of 
of, of protests changing their names. But this movie came out, you know, over 30 years ago. And so at the time, there really wasn't a protest. Or there was, but it didn't get the focus that it deserved. So it, the, the movie revolves around the Cleveland Indians. And it has a young uh, Charlie Sheen who plays the star pitcher. And right. – uh oh man who else was in it corbin bernson who is from la law um okay nice yeah uh uh oh oh um shoot what's his name who plays blade uh wesley snipes was the star outfielder yeah, yeah so yeah, this this yeah. movie had a lot it's all of starting to come back to me um i yes. believe back in the like it made a lot of careers didn't it back in the day it did. It was actually such a big deal that Wesley Snipes left the movie before the the sequel uh, because he got Blade after this. And then right. uh, they replaced him with Omar Epps for the sequel. Uh, Charlie Sheen hit this. This really helped launch his career. Um, and mm. there was another guy whose whose name I'm forgetting, uh, but he he also got big. And then the the, the most ridiculous one was uh, the guy who played the other star outfielder, who was the home run hitter. Uh, who who his name is Dennis uh, Hasbert Hasbert. And some of you may recognize him from the Allstate commercials. He went on to play the president, and I think it was called like Phoenix has fallen or something like that. Very iconic, deep voiced uh, black guy. Really, a, a, really a, a beautiful, a beautiful man with a fantastic voice this was his first big movie right okay interesting so i'm very sort of i mean in terms of baseball i'm like obviously know what baseball is i yeah just want to throw that out there i do know it's the (laughs) the one where you hit the ball that's right um what i remember of this movie is it just being very iconic um being a movie that sort of really sold the American dream on baseball in terms of the stereotypes of baseball. Seemed to have more of a positive leaning of baseball. For me, it didn't really speak to me as such, probably because there's not a whole lot of baseball that gets played in Australia. (laughs) At the same time, I don't imagine there's a lot of cricket that gets played in America. No, no, there is not. (laughs) um, Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean... It's, I can kind of, I can see the appeal to it for sure. Definitely see the appeal to it. You know, you said something I think that's really important to underscore, and that it was that it sold the American dream of baseball. And the whole premise of the movie was a rich owner. She was was a showgirl who marries a guy. He dies and she gets the Mm. team and she wants to relocate it to Miami from this kind of coal town of Cleveland. And she's this rich, you know, sort of stereotypical rich woman. And all the guys are are cast offs from other teams. That's that's her goal is for them to be so bad that the city will let them leave and go somewhere else. And <laughs> basically what happens is exactly as you said, it's sort of the American dream story where the players learn about this and all come together to have an incredible season and go to the playoffs. And of course, then she can't sell the team. So you're right. It's more than just baseball. It's telling a traditional American story through the American pastime of baseball. Yeah. And I think it, and did this come before Angels in the Outfield? It was roughly around that time, but it was like not long yeah. before. That's right. Yeah. So I believe that was a big one over here. And I believe, uh, I mean, I, I think it's funny how there seems to be 
film trends in Hollywood, and I think baseball was definitely one of those. Oh, in definitely. Of the late 80s, early 90s, and it seemed like, I think it just seemed at some point it was just low-hanging fruit for Hollywood executives. And it's, oh, that, you know, movie studio is doing a baseball game. Let's do a, let's do a baseball game as well. So, um, but it's interesting to sort of see sort of Charlie Sheen earlier in his career, Wesley Snipes early in their career, and, well, um, I guess they're fall from grace, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to say I'm really excited. Uh, coming to America 2, the sequel from from Charlie, uh, from Eddie Murphy, uh, is coming out mm. here in a couple of weeks, and uh, Wesley Snipes is in that. And I'm a huge Wesley Snipes fan. I, I He's just wonderful in everything. And uh, Charlie Sheen, you know what? So I will say the the thing I loved about Charlie Sheen is he actually grew up not far from my hometown. And he was a fan of the same baseball team I was a fan of. And so there would be games where I would go to the game and we would look down to the expensive seats and he would be sitting there. So my city has a love for Charlie Sheen uh, because he's kind of a hometown guy. That being said, his fall from grace is a little bit less redeemable than Wesley Snipes. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I'm still. I think I'm still waiting for a sequel to Passenger Fifty Seven. Um, but uh, that's a deep cut. I'm, <laughs> I'm no man. I'm right there with you. Let's get let's get Wesley back up in the air. <laughs> well, he does need to make more money for you know in order to you know the tax man loves suing him. So that's true. Him. So he needs to make more money so that he can maintain that you know that sort of ubiquitous relationship he has. Um, So uh, my something watchable is the HBO series Oz. The Oswald Maximum Security Penitentiary. Some people call it Emerald City. To me, it's Oz. In Emerald City, we got rules. We tell you when to sleep, when to eat, when to piss. There is no yelling, no fighting, no fucking questions. There's something in the air, and it ain't love. We were talking online. You said you did not enjoy Oz <laughs> when, when it came out, so let's get that out of the way first. What didn't you like about Oz? So I will say that you know, kind of like what you were saying about uh, baseball movies for a while there, HBO was just batting a thousand, right? Everything they did was mm-hmm. incredible. And I am a huge fan of a lot of their work. My wife and I are, are uh, you know, rewatching. Um, what did we just finish rewatching? Something from HBO. Well, we're actually watching Game of Thrones right now, which was on HBO. But um, anyway, what I didn't like about Oz was I thought that. I'm going to steal your phrase here with low-hanging fruit. I thought that they went too easy. It was like, uh, oh, we're going to tell a prison story where people are going to get shanked and all this. Like, it, it, <laughs> it, it wasn't creative to me because it was all of the stereotypes about the U.S. prison system. And mm. I didn't – as someone who has always sort of been – 
a you know a, a criminal justice advocate i didn't love that it didn't to me again it just didn't seem creative enough they didn't try to show enough redeemable qualities unlike a show like um the wire where it's like a lot okay. of that was stereotypes too, but they at least made you understand these characters about like the good things about them. Now I will say I only gave Oz half a season and I eventually turned it off. So maybe it got better after that, but that was my issue with Oz. So for me, Oz is that show that whenever you hear the, the sort of the, the HBO intro, that's law. And you know, it <laughs> that was good, man. um i try not to be tone deaf um uh now and and you know obviously with the the sort of the static uh you know at the start and uh i feel like that at this point whenever someone sees that hbo intro they immediately think of the theme song of whatever show that they've done Mm -hmm. that kicks in and for me it's always uh oz that that kind of sort of uh that that uh i guess that theme song that sort of that that sort of drum beat that's kind of sounds like it's on sort of garbage percussion with sort of the the grunts and the moans of like prisoners in the in the background and so much so that that the hbo intro makes me think of that theme song that (laughs) even if i put on something like game of thrones or westworld even though i know i'm about to watch those shows I, for some reason, always get surprised when I don't hear the Oz <laughs> theme song because my brain is just so, uh, I guess, finely tuned to that show. So my pitch for it is I feel like it was definitely ahead of its time in terms of raising the discussion around the US prison system. I mean, from the start, the the sort of the audience surrogate who gets thrown into the prison, he's committed a white-collar crime, obviously fraud, you know, that's a crime you should probably go to prison for. But he's thrown into gen pop with, mm. you know, rapists, murderers, serial killers. And I feel like it provides an interesting sort of narrative on how much the American prison system does need to be overhauled, how there does need to be sort of a look at, you know, Maybe there, maybe it's just shouldn't be so black and white around, you know, the legal system in terms of should people go to prison who uh, uh, and for committing a crime that that isn't that doesn't necessarily, um, I mean, make them sort of equal with sort of like serial killers and things like that. So I mean, it also brings into light like there's characters on there that. So, uh, that sold weed and sold pot and they're also in the same uh, prison as those who have, you know, killed people and things like that. But it also, I think, goes into uh, different areas that are also interesting, like drug addiction, abuse, uh, which which surprises me why you don't like this show. But then there could have been aspects of this show that I liked um, that happened later on that you that you sort of tuned out of before then. So I think it's a great show for being ahead of its time, providing a sort of a narrative on exactly what is wrong with the prison system. There's also this ongoing narrative of once you get in, you don't necessarily get out. You might physically get out, but there's a character in there that that uh, he gets out, but because he 
doesn't really know what to do with his life. The, the system, the systemic issues of America are really set up to not assist uh, ex-cons with reforming. He commits a crime to get himself back in because that's all he's known for so long. So, um, yeah, I feel like it's an uncomfortable but uh, an appropriate sort of reminder of the systemic issues um, of how we look at prisoners, of how society should look at uh, how it treats its offenders um, and, I guess, I guess human issues as a whole. Well, you're making me think that I should go back and give it another chance. Well, you know, that's that's what this podcast is all about, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, then, message received. <laughs> all right, Jay, present your something readable. Yeah, so for the listeners, this is the one that gave me the hardest time uh, because, number one, I read a lot. And number two, when I first uh, suggested to you, was very broad. And, and uh, I just opened up Twitter so I could read your response. And you, you said, can you be a bit more specific? <laughs> because yeah, I think you said to me, Star Wars book. I did. I like said that. the Star Wars <laughs> literary universe. And you were like, eh, that's way. <laughs> too broad um yeah and that's fair i i just i love them and I, i'll say this that i used to I, I read these growing up religiously huge star wars fan all my life and then for about 20 years i was like oh that's too young for me blah 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 and then i have a really good friend who also loves star wars like to the extent that i do and he was like man i don't know what you're talking about like the extended universe it just helps you understand the story so much better and about three years ago, he was like, you got to give him another try. And I did. And to this day, I'm still devouring them because the extended universe is wonderful. And by that, I mean, you know, comic books and, and books. So you asked me to pick one and it was very difficult, but I chose one that I thought most readers would enjoy. Uh, and mm. it is called Star Wars Scoundrels. And mm. it is basically if Ocean's Eleven was in the Star Wars universe. Uh, and if that is yeah. sounds like something that you'd be interested in, you will love this book. It's very much a Star Wars heist story. Very much, exactly. So yeah. the the premise is that is that Han is this happens right after New Hope, or as most people call it, Star Wars, the first movie, um, and Han. Uh, you know, from that movie, we see him get a lot of money uh, after he helps well with the Death Star. And he's supposed to go pay Jabba uh, because Jabba has a uh, a hit out on his life. Now, uh, in this in this book, we learn that Han loses that money. It's stolen from him. And he and Chewie have to put together a team to try to basically do this incredible heist that will give him enough money to go pay Jabba. Uh, now, of course, we learn we, – we know in the movies he doesn't eventually pay him, and that happens after this book. But in this book, he puts together a team to do this big heist, and the other main person that everybody will know is probably the other most amazing character from the original uh, uh, trilogy, and that is Lando Calrissian, who Han – uh, now, in the movies, we think they haven't seen each other in a long time, but this book shows that they that they were together on this job uh, right after the original movie. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, this is a Star Wars book. Well, first, in, in terms of, I guess, full transparency, I sort of cheated when consuming this book. I downloaded the audio book because, um, you know, who's got time to read? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um 
But in any case, I feel like this Star Wars book, this story, while it's a good story, there are sort of elements of the story that I didn't particularly enjoy. So, for instance, the book, I'm not too sure when it was released, but um, do you have any idea of the release date? Or I don't, but I know that we could go real deep in this. It's not canon, <laughs> and so because of that, it had to be before 2015. That's right, because they then I think it was Disney decided that henceforth everything else released under sort of our guidance is now canon, right? Correct, and they chose some things uh, from before to make canon and other things Mm -hmm. to not do that. And so I know, for example, this book is not considered canon, uh, and because of that, we know it's at least a little bit before Disney took over. So – I, I'm gonna say I, it kind of had the the sort of the writing style of other Star Wars books that were released in sort of the '90s. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to assume it was either released in the '90s or perhaps 2000s. So uh, I just looked it I up because I wanted to answer this for you. Uh, it was 2013, but you're uh, okay, right. The reason it sounds like it's from the 90s is because it was written by Tim Zahn, who did yeah. a lot of the most famous Star Wars books from the 90s. Yeah, and I feel like by this, by 2013, we already know what Star Wars is about. We already understand the scene and the setting. And I feel like the, at least from the introductory standpoint of the book, there's too much time spent on what Star Wars is and establishing the scene. And it's kind of like, I mean, you, you, there's the old axiom, don't judge a book by its cover, but I feel like you kind of have to when it's called Scoundrels and you have Chewbacca, Lando Carizian and Han Solo on the front. You kind of get the idea that of what it's going to be about, not to mention the fact that it also says you know, Star Wars on the front cover. <laughs> so I feel like while it's a good book, it spends too much time reintroducing us to the law that's been pre-established for sort of by that point, what sort of, uh, I guess, almost 40 years. So um, it's, it's a great, it's a great book for, I feel, anyone who wants sort of more Han Solo and more Chewbacca stories. So it's good for that. And it's sort of, in that sort of that golden era of Star Wars that everyone enjoys. So I find it interesting that this isn't considered canon because, I I mean, uh, you're not really, by establishing this book as canon, you're not really, I, I, at least I feel, you're not really ruining in anything. It's, it's a story that I don't think that has been explored in other media. So even if you know that there's been a heist in this book, I mean... How does that ruin the future stories and I guess the, uh, you know, everything else that has come out um, in relation to Han Solo and Chewbacca? So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. So a couple of things. Number one, you're 100% right about the, the using a lot of time on the way in. And that is a common complaint about a lot of Star Wars novels is that they try to cater to new readers when a lot of the people are like, oh, come on, I could write this. You know what I mean? Like I've written, I've read so many of these. I can write your intro. Now, I will say um, that 
you know, the guy who wrote this, Timothy Zahn, who did, who does a lot of the great Star Wars stuff, he doesn't do that with his sequel. So I, I give him credit there. Um, and there's another writer who does Star Wars books that I love named Chuck Wendig. And Chuck doesn't do that as much either. Um, so it really is more of, I think Timothy Zahn likes to write for new readers. Um, so you see a little bit more of that in his, uh, in his writing. Now, as far as why it's not canon, um, I'm with you. I think it should be. It's a wonderful heist and it's a really great story. Now, I think that the reason it's not is that it talks about um, the Faline and a, and a character by the name of Shizor. And Shizor mm-hmm. in the Star Wars universe uh, is not considered canon as far as my understanding because of – Basically, this is going to go super deep. And if you, if you, listeners, if you disagree with me, I want to hear this because I want to learn more. But it's because Shizor oversees Black Sun, which is a gangster sort of criminal organization. And in canon, my understanding is that they really sort of wanted Darth Maul to be the the focus of overseeing Black Sun. Uh, now, yeah. now, I believe they wanted to sort of erase the whole uh, Prince uh, Zixor right, and his right. whole thing. And instead, yeah. they wanted to give a lot of that focus to Maul. And yeah. I don't fault them for it because they did it really well, but it replaces a lot of these incredible stories because of Caesar and and that whole thing. So um, mm. I, I don't want to do spoilers here in, in case people haven't seen um, I don't know, solo or something, but like Maul is a much bigger character. Go watch, uh, you know, things like um, Rebels. Go watch uh, uh, what's the, the 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 other Star Wars uh, comic, um, Clone Clone Wars. Maul is a much bigger character, and Disney really leans heavily into him, and he's a baller. So I get it, but uh, because mm. of that, we lose a lot of these stories. All right, now my something readable is a little bit different than the uh, what our listeners are used to. So this one is an article. So it's an article called Most People with Addiction Simply Grow Out of It. Semicolon, why is this widely denied? Question mark. So it was put out by a digital publication called drugfoundation.org.au. Uh, NZ, so obviously a New Zealand publication. And this specific article uh, is by uh, Maya uh, Zalovitz. I hope I pronounced that right. She's a leading neuroscience and addiction journalist and a columnist at uh, substance.com. Now, the article, and I guess I, it's not so much a pitch as it is uh, wanting to get your thoughts on it as well, Jay, because, you know, obviously your background and what you're passionate about, It's uh, Maya sort of postulates the idea that there's a high percentage of, uh, I guess, in a lot of cases, men who discover uh, addiction or from such an early age because of drinking, taking recreational drugs. And we need to look at how we sort of uh, rehabilitate those individuals. She also goes into things like ADHD may be playing a factor in terms of how, um, how uh, I guess, uh, addiction is perceived and how, these, how people with ADHD, when they're sort of... Uh, uh, when they uh, they start taking drugs to treat ADHD, 
that can also be a factor that leads to more substance abuse. So I feel like in terms of an article uh, and for, I guess, just for uh, the sake of mentioning that I'm not an expert in this field at all, I feel like she presents her her thoughts, views and opinions quite well and it kind of it gave me a bit of an insight in, ter- in terms of addiction and I guess how how it's perceived sort of by society and I guess in regards to my own prejudices as well. So a couple things. First off, Antine, thank you for picking this. I, I really appreciate it. I've read this multiple times. I love this article. Um, I found this just through my own work and, and for those listeners who don't, you know, I, Anthony has done a really great job of, of featuring me on, on all the incredible work he does. And I read your, your newsletter is one of my favorite, by the way, if I haven't said that already. So uh, beyond <laughs> just being somebody who is super into nerd culture, my day job or really what my dedicated, I've dedicated my life to is, is, uh, focusing on helping end the stigma and educating people around the issues of mental health, substance misuse and recovery and drug use and policy. Uh, I am a guy in long-term recovery. I'm, I'm 11 years in. And my story is what you just described. I first was given ADHD medication as an 11-year-old, eventually was, di- was misdiagnosed with a serious issue of mental health and put on medication for that that I didn't need. And it sent me into this long spiral of substance misuse and addiction. So uh, I've now, like I said, I've been in recovery for 11 years and I tell my story and use articles like this one to help people understand essentially as you so perfectly just owned up to, we all have prejudice against people who struggle with substance misuse and addiction and a lot of those have been taught to us. Um, and, and I say we all, including myself, because when I first started telling my story on stage about six years ago, I admitted that night on stage that when I think of the word addict, I don't picture myself despite being in recovery. And if Mm -hmm. that doesn't tell you how pervasive this intentional stigma is, I don't know how else to describe it to you. Um, Mm -hmm. So I love that you chose this mostly because, you know, this uh, thinking is is number one, it's not new, but it's also not popular. And so that's why I love this article is it really tried to push some of these ideas. But what it does do a really good job of is helping us recognize that we think so many incorrect things about addiction and substance misuse. And a lot of those, as I said earlier, are intentional. The U.S. has been leading this push for over 100 years now. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of what we think about drug users and people who struggle with addiction is based on racism and sexism. And it's pretty open and blatant, or it was when when these laws in the US were were created. And then the US spent, like I said, almost 100 years pushing the rest of the world to try to think the same way they did. So um, I could go you and i could do an hour on this topic alone um obviously that's literally (laughs) what i do for a living um but but what i i again want to say thank you for choosing this and saying to your listeners you know please if this is something you're interested in uh, i'm not going to recommend that i'm i'm reading four different books on this topic right now but one book 
it, first off, read this article. I 100% agree with that. But also check out the book Chasing the Scream by Johan Hari. He's a British journalist where he really exposes a lot of this. It was a New York Times bestseller. It's a wonderful book. So um, thank you for choosing this, Anthony. And, and, and you're, you're right. I love that you recognized and said we all have prejudices around these ideas. I think as well it's the approach that Maya takes in this article is if you sort of just dumb it down a bit, is about that there just needs to be a different approach. And there needs to be a different approach because, you know, if someone is misdiagnosed, that can lead to them taking drugs or medicine, but at the end of the day, they're drugs. And from there, that can then lead to them drinking or taking more drugs. And then that can lead to abuse of uh, people. You can lead to abuse of significant others it can lead to crime and then it can lead to imprisonment um hopefully before some you know sort of those last two or three things happens it can lead to rehabilitation but it feels like from almost from her article reading between the lines is that society as a whole is ill-equipped and we need to look at things from a different angle and get that intervention in early. So that's what I got from it. Yeah, I think I think what what you said that that's really important is that society is ill-equipped and it's intentionally ill-equipped. We yeah. we know that things like, you know, in the US we have just say no and dare which were basically telling kids just don't do drugs. You know, I remember, you know, being told in school that if you smoke marijuana it will kill you. And then of course, I went and smoked marijuana and I'm fine. I'm still alive. And so when you tell a kid that and then they go do it and it doesn't happen, then the kid's going to go, oh, well, nothing they tell me is true. I'm just going to not believe this. So that's yeah. why now we're finally pushing for people to have comprehensive drug education that's the good, the bad, the honest, and not just a blanket, you know, people who do drugs are criminals, kids, you know, because that stuff never yeah. worked. It never worked. All right. Now present your something listenable. <laughs> so this this one's this one's fun. Um <laughs> there is a podcast. Okay. So everybody loves true crime, right? What if there was a podcast. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I'm, I'm a little over it right now. But what if there was a podcast that mixed true crime, paranormal, and comedy? Now, that to me is like all of the things, right? You know, I, I, I do love true crime when it's done right and when it's done in a fun way. Um, I do. I love paranormal just so much. It's like my favorite thing to talk about besides, you know, basically my job of, of you know, all that and, and Star Wars. Like after that, it's paranormal stuff. Um, and then, I, I, you know, growing up, my, my, one of my brothers is a comedian. My best friend growing up is a comedian. And so you mix those things together and it's just like it, it's just manna from heaven for me. That podcast is called Ghost Town. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Nice shirt. Also, do you like podcasts? Sure you do, which is why you should listen to Ghost Town, our comedy podcast about the abandoned, mysterious, haunted, and unexplored. From the Berlin Wall to the Los Feliz Murder House to the room that Janis Joplin died in, we'll be there. If it's cool with our lawyers. We have lawyers? Go with it. Wherever it is, we're going to hash it out and, I don't know, probably solve it. And we have mugs. We have mugs? Go with it. Ghost Town, a podcast about mysterious, abandoned, unexplored places. Subscribe to Ghost Town on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. And 
the host, uh, I'm so blessed. One of them actually came on my podcast not long ago, uh, and I got to sit down and talk to her. They take a fun look. Now, some of the things are very serious, and they get very serious, but then they'll stop in the middle. They'll check in with people. They joke along the way when it's a ridiculous story. Um, you know, they've covered all of our favorite true crime stories and paranormal stories and aliens. I mean, all that kind of stuff, but they do it in a fun way. And uh, it's, it's, you know, just a fantastic show that I, I never miss. It's one of my favorites. So I listened to one of the episodes to sort of give me a little bit of context and prepare me for this. I listened to, I'm pretty sure it's their most recent one. Uh, the Seven Wives of Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> yeah, um, that was ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so um, uh, look, taking the I guess the ton- the content out of of that episode out of the discussion. Firstly, I feel the, and I'm not sure if this is the normal format they go with, but I feel the just the the introduction part of the podcast just goes for way too long. I really believe that podcasts uh, should be able to succinctly sort of sum up what the episode is going to be about sort of within a couple of minutes, and I feel like that went for too long. Then it sort of cuts to the two co-hosts talking about their, um, I guess their, you know, their Patreon supporters, people that can give them reviews. And that went on for about 10 minutes. And then it went back to uh, sort of the co-hosts talking about, um, you know, the trials and tribulations of Jerry Lee Lewis and whether or he may or may not have been a horrible person. Spoilers, everyone. He's a horrible person. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, um, maybe, you know, the great balls of fire should have been thrown at him. Um, so um, it it's just it's a good podcast. I just feel the format is a little strange. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. I just feel like it. It's not as cohesive as what it probably could be. Um, but then that could be because we're by now podcasts have been around for more than a decade. We're probably too used to, and my myself as well, I'm probably too used to intro. Let's talk about uh, the reviews and give people shout outs and then let's get into the thing. Close podcast. You know, that is a very uh, – so I should first say, spoiler alert, Jerry Lee Lewis is a terrible human being. <laughs> that was shocking to me because, you know, if you know him in the U.S. and you're younger, like, you know, you're not of his generation, you know Great Balls of Fire. You know these outlandish stories of him being sort of a larger-than-life person. That blew my mm. mind about how horrible – he's a murderer. Like, multiple mm. times he murdered people. They knew it. They are just like, oh. Oh, Jerry, like it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, mm. Now, the, the well, criticism is Nick, his self dubbed nickname was the killer. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, guys, yeah. the writing's on the wall. Literally, he at one point, the walls were covered in blood and they didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> so the, the criticism of the podcast is valid. And I love it because I've been listening for so long that like it's it's something that I've you know enjoy now i like hearing from them i like hearing them shout out the same you know the, the patreon supporters i've written reviews just so that they can read it and joke about it on the show so if you're a newcomer i can 100 percent 
believe that that might be a struggle for somebody. You know, if you go back and listen to, they've been doing this thing for like three or four years now, and I've been listening for probably three of those years. And so if you have been with them this long, it's very different because you've grown with them. I 100 and they talk about this, by the way, in certain episodes, you know, they read their bad reviews and a lot of them, Anthony, are literally word for word what you just said. And so I definitely think that they are struggling to attract new listeners, but they're a very well-known show because they've brought so many people along with them all this time. Um, Again, not a bad podcast. It's just uh, it's just a little the format's a little odd, that's all. And I just kind of, uh, again, I've, again, only listened to one episode, so it could be different on other episodes, and it may be. I, I found it a little odd that there's co-hosts, but for two-thirds of that episode, the only one of the hosts is talking. So what is the 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 bloke on it? What's his sort of role? Is he, because, I mean, the, uh, the girl on the podcast, she yeah. seems to do... Um, a fair bit of research is he expected to do sort of equal <laughs> amounts of research and then they convene and talk about it or what what's the that, story that's a great question rebecca definitely does a lot more recently and that's because um her co-host whose name is right now drawing a blank in my head uh he recently wrote a book jason thank you jason um, okay yeah he recently wrote a book and he's been doing a lot of work for that but uh in the past it's been you know she told me when I brought her on my show, we, we chatted for a while and she told me that they really do a lot of the research together. Now she reads a lot more of it that you're right. That is more her role. Um, but, but Jason is the one with way more experience. He has, he does other things for a while. He was a pretty big name on YouTube. Um, I, I didn't know about him then. I only knew him about it because of the podcast, but uh, Rebecca is more the, the voice that people associate with the show, even though they do a lot of that work in tandem. So, yeah, yeah, I guess that's just my thoughts on it. So otherwise it's, you know, it's by all means, if you're into the paranormal or strange stories um, uh, or true crime, you should uh, check that podcast out. Now, my something listenable is uh, Glass Prison by Dream Theater. rock band if you haven't heard of them uh and the song itself comes from uh their album six degrees of inner turbulence now how did you go listening to just the song on its own well i i so it it, <laughs> it reminded me of two things very different uh in just in listening to the song i struggled with it a lot i i really did in how so in terms of the the content of the lyrics or or just in terms too, of the too much progressive rock <laughs> well so you know it's interesting i don't i don't i'm not a big progressive rock guy but i don't dislike it i found this to be reminiscent of, let's see if you know this one um, metal machine music by lou reed are you familiar with that no so no. it was lou reed's um album of basically nothing but just really rough rock and it was intentional. It's a lot, a lot of noise. And it was intentional to be that abrasive. 
Um, mm. And so in that respect, I really struggled because it to me, it sounded like a lot of noise. But I also heard a lot of Miles Davis's on the corner in it, which is a very well constructed noise. And so I felt like it just wasn't my cup of tea in terms of deconstruction, if that makes sense. Mm. Well, I guess um, it could be said that uh, Miles Davis, obviously jazz, um, it could be said that a lot of progressive rock influences come from jazz and is about sort of, you know, that the, you know, the band jam and and about uh, jamming and I guess um, just a, working with different chord progressions and what can, you know, stretching and pushing the envelope as much as it can in terms of what music can achieve. Um, So my, in in regards to this song, it's one of their, one of their biggest songs. The sort of the, the outline of the song is about the first three steps of the 12 steps to recovery in the AA program. So to give you a bit of an idea, the drummer, <clears throat> or I should say, ex drummer now, uh, Mark, uh, sorry, Mike Portnoy, went through uh, and suffered alcoholism mm. for a long time, and for him, it was about battling addiction and recovery, and basically his personal story in terms of what he dealt with. So, it's. I mean, Dream Theater are very much a band that are obviously a lot of their albums are very concept album heavy. So I feel like the chaos in this song accurately reflects the chaos that anyone who's trying to recover from addiction would be feeling internally. Well, you're, you're speaking my language now, and again, sort of like the the Oz reference or recommendation, you're making me feel like I should go back and give it another another listen. Yeah, and I mean, even the lyrics um, uh, purposely have uh, references. I think from memory, I think some of the lyrics are even, uh, if not copied, definitely reworded that come from sort of the the steps to recovery. So. Yeah, that's that's my pitch. <laughs> well, I'll definitely go now that I have that lens to listen through. I will definitely go back and hear it again. And I really I think it's really cool that uh, the what you said about about the, the jazz influences, uh, you know, definitely. I mean, we're, we're hitting on that same cylinder there. And, you know, jazz is such a beautiful art form. Um it's one of these things that like my dad and I were talking about this not long ago because we have a long standing argument about what the best Miles Davis uh, album is. And he says it's, mm. it's kind of blue and, and I think it's bitches brew. And, and what is really at the heart of that is it's two incredibly distinctive forms of music, right? Jazz that mm. is kind of blue is very methodical and beautiful and, and set out. Whereas bitches brew is just an incredible chaos that is just so beautifully done and and that is sort of the 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 type of jazz that we're talking about here um not not the the kind of blue type of jazz right if you're if you're a jazz fan you know dave brubeck is sort of that one and then you know the the late great he just passed away two weeks ago or last week uh, chick korea is more the second one and i and i'm such a big fan of chick korea um 
but yes, I mean, I, I will say, even though it wasn't right off the leap off the, the, you know, out of my earbud sort of, I love this. I appreciated that about this song that it reminded me very much of the, like they were going for the beautiful chaos of a bitches brew or, or a chick Korea song. And I guess there's, there's sort of the argument that progressive rock is just moving up the scales and things like that. Um, uh, but I feel like this song has, has a message to say. Well, I will definitely go back and listen again, and and I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. All right, Jay, let's do the verdicts now. So out of my three picks, were any of those your kind of weird? Oh, 100%. Um, you know, the, the the article was exactly my type of weird. And, and both of your other ones, I will say, you know, tip of the hat, my friend, you, you, you know, made me want to go back and rewatch Oz, and you made me want to give that song a second chance. Excellent. Now, in terms of your picks, I would say that uh, my kind, in terms of what's my kind of weird, I would say that uh, I'm going to give Ghost Town a bit of a chance, a bit more of a chance. So that's sort of, I'm sitting sort of borderline right now. In terms of uh, the Star Wars uh, Scoundrels book, that's definitely my kind of weird. Uh, And even, uh, even, major league even just for some nostalgia reasons that's my kind of weird as well <laughs> well i i appreciate that and i will say i'm not at all surprised that the the, the star wars scoundrels is ty- your type of weird i honestly think that anyone not anyone but most people who read soda and telepaths the, the, the your your everything you do i mean from from your newsletter to your your website to your interview of me uh all of that <laughs> would would Shame find a really <laughs> enjoyable something in yeah. in this book right you're right if you know if the, the first little bit is a little long but the the heist part and the star wars learning about mo- no, new people the star wars universe it's just wonderful 100 percent. all right everyone we're gonna go on a quick sponsor break and when we come back i'm gonna do a quick interview with jay A little culture for you there. Hello everyone, or good day as your hosts might say. Producer Andy here. I edit and tinker with this podcast to make it sound lovely and smooth and soft. Just like me. I remove the erms and the pauses and the little bumps and whines and groans and the near constant sound of Anthony snorting coke. If you are listening to this podcast, and you are, then you might be interested in things like comics. I'm not. I think they're for children. But if you are, then why not head on over to sodaandtelepaths.com, the sister site to this podcast. At sodaandtelepaths.com, you will find all the latest on comics, science fiction, and horror. And there are many, many interviews with writers and other people who've never had a real job. So head on over to sodaandtelepaths.com and make me proud of you. Don't let me down. All right, Jay. So tell the listeners a bit more about what you do um, in in the world, I guess, of um, educating people about substance misuse and abuse. Yeah. So, you know, we already a little bit talked about how a lot of what we think is 
flat out wrong. It just is, you know, and uh, there's, like I said before, you and I could do a lot of time on this, but the the most helpful thing I think that that any one of us can do on a day to day basis is help end stigma around these topics. You know, I did not talk about my struggles with substance misuse and addiction for the first five years that I was in recovery. I saw it as a mark of shame, like I had failed. And the fact is, no one told me that, right? That wasn't that wasn't someone saying, don't tell people about this. It was just the way we treat people who go through what I went through. The way we treat people with mental health struggles is we, you know, we tell them that they're others, that they should be ashamed, you know, that, that we kind of shun them, right? And so people like me who tell our stories and help people understand what it's actually like going through a struggle with mental health, going through a struggle with, with addiction or substance misuse. And then once they have, you know, once we have their attention, helping them understand the racist, sexist, just flat out BS origins of a lot of what we think we know to be true about drug use and addiction, it helps make change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that started from a very early point in the 20th century. I remember seeing this, this sort of poster, um, which was definitely, um, I think it was around the 40s or 50s. And it said, don't let her smoke pot. Or actually, no, sorry. It said, don't let him smoke pot. Um, uh, he'll uh, become a homosexual. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, what? Yep. Um, so, I mean, obviously, um, there are lots of sort of slogans and things like that and different political agendas about all those years ago. But, I mean, it stuff like that, although I guess we could say is humorous now, isn't really. And, I mean, certainly didn't help things, that's for sure. It's some uh, things like that would have uh, um, uh, would have definitely promoted the stigma a bit. I'm curious about you mentioned shame is that shame in yourself that you sort of put on yourself or is it shame that you you felt like other people um had lost a bit of respect for you well it was a little bit of both um you know we we think of people who struggle with you know addiction or substance misuse in, in mental health as as having failed and what's so interesting is that you know my aunt is currently struggling through a fight with cancer no one would ever say she failed right you know nobody mm. would ever call someone with cancer a cancer you know and yet people would call me an addict and and it's a way of saying your struggle defined you and and i would say of course it didn't define me it helped made me who i am but it didn't define mm. me. You know, I am a person who struggled with addiction. I am not an addict, right? And that that is the, the key difference there. And so when you help people understand, even at its basic level like that, it's a way of shame. It's a way of pointing at someone and saying, you are this, you, you are that, instead of being like, you went through this period of struggle, which all of us do it with something in our lives, right? I mean, show me a person who's never had an issue. And I, I mean, at first, I just wouldn't believe it. They, all of us have something. 
And and that's yeah. where my business name comes from of choose your struggle is essentially, you know, I was born of privilege. I was born in, in a house that I never had to worry about not having heat, about not having food, about having a roof over my head. I got to choose what I struggled for. And, and it was getting involved in the community and doing all these incredible things. Right. And then when I was struggling through my my my, my issue of, of substance misuse and addiction, I didn't get to choose anymore because just avoiding withdrawals, just getting off the couch and trying to contribute to, to the world around me, those were my struggles. And so when I got back into recovery, you know, when I got into recovery and, and back into health, I got to choose again. And, and it made me realize that there are so many millions of people around me just like me who are losing that ability to choose through you know addiction through struggles with their mental health through just having someone else choose their life for them and when we're doing that we're not happy we're not fulfilled and and that's not a way to re- lead a happy life mm, mm. Uh, how did you figure that you wanted to turn it into a business model? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I was doing it on the side. Uh, like I said, I first started speaking publicly in 2015, and I was doing it on the side for a while while working first in, in a career in nonprofit fundraising and then in a career in politics. Uh, I ran campaigns and advised on other campaigns and for, for nonprofits. I was a consultant. And I had a, a job coach who I really looked up to, and, and I, she was helping me because I wasn't happy at my job. I loved it. I loved what I was doing. Politics is a wonderful drug, and I just wasn't fulfilled. And so she finally said to me, well, do you think it's because your side gig really should be your main gig? And I was like, no, I could never make this a business. And she said, why not? And I kind of went, uh, you know, like I had no good reason that I couldn't. I just was scared. And through her help, I took that leap. And on January, uh, January 2019, uh, I made it a full time gig and I've been doing it now ever since. And, you know, here I am two years later with uh, I was speaking before the pandemic. Obviously, that's been on hold. But, um, you know, the coaching, the consulting around these issues and and now my podcast, the Choose Your Struggle podcast, which I'm very lucky to say is doing exceptionally well. And I've been able to branch out and do some other things with it. So. I guess uh, from there, I mean, choose your struggle is is very much about you know choosing what what you struggle for. It's obviously um, you you promote sort of the the issues inherent around drug abuse and misuse. For for you, what sort of positive change has choose your struggle sort of rendered for for people that and. Uh, that are experiencing what you've experienced. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, this is why I do it, right? Is I, I, I'm standing here while we're recording next to my desk and, 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 and behind my desk, there are four emails taped up on the wall from people that just said beautiful things to me based on my work. And, you know, I keep those around for the days where it's very long and it's very hard and I need a reminder. And these are things like one guy um, reached out to me from a, a country in Northern Africa to say, we don't talk about these issues here. Like this is my outlet. Right. 
another person is in is on a hospital ward in England, uh, and she says, you know, I don't miss an episode. You you really inspire me as I'm fighting my my issues. Those are that's why I do this, right? Those are responses, and, and and even I mean, those are incredible, right? But even the little ones, like friends reaching out and saying, I'd never you know thought about that issue that way, or you know, my dad doesn't miss an episode, and so now he understands my struggle a little bit more. You know, these are the, the this is how we create change, right? We love to focus on the big gestures, the big movements, but like that's not how change works. It's the little things that create ripples, and those ripples become waves, and those waves become tidal waves and tsunamis that make real change. So, you know, the little things are what I love. The, the responses, things like I did a, an event a month ago where four people, uh, told their rock bottom story, their worst moments of their lives. And I expected 20 people to turn into this live event, this virtual event. We had 200 people log into this thing because people want to learn about this. People want to hear about these subjects, but they're afraid because that stigma is real. And so talking about them on a day-to-day basis is scary. But getting on your computer, listening to a podcast, something like that is very accessible. That's why I do this, to have people, you know, people have an outlet. People have an ability to listen and be safe while they do it. Now, this last question it's more just for curiosity's sake. Now, people who look at uh, others like yourself, who are you know who are you know doing the grind, getting up in front of people, trying to have the discussion, raising these issues, they don't really think about things like you know with uh, with say stand up comedy. It's uh, you're getting up to get a laugh out of people but with the but with public speaking around sort of known issues it's a totally different beast i've been uh i guess privileged in the in uh, my career where i've had the opportunity to sort of get up in front of a crowd and talk about things that are relevant to sort of the the job that i was in at that time but again I really need to know that first time you got up and uh, you um, had to, that you wanted to, you know, sort of speak your message. How much did you bomb? (laughs) Oh, man. So here's the thing. My first bomb wasn't until my third speech. Um, My first one, uh, I I really was super vulnerable. It was very heartfelt. Um, I I just, it was such an incredible night. Like I I still, it's still sadly, you know, six years later, almost my best speech ever was my first night. That's not a good way to start. <laughs> you, you can only go down from there. Uh, yes. My second one was fine. Nothing special, but fine. But my third one was very much like I was starting to get some notice. And so I got invited to do a, a speech and um, it just didn't go well. It, it just wasn't. Uh, I did OK, but the audience was not receptive. Um, and, and it really helped me understand that I have to be more clear early on and be like, I'm not going to be that guy that was like, it's going to inspire you and make you feel okay. My speech is all about how we're all screwing this up and we need to do better, you know, because people get upset. (laughs) People, people get really upset if they, if they don't know what they're getting into and they hear my speech. I had a grandma accuse me she came up after a, a speech and was like, are you trying to tell me that I ruined my grandson's life for putting him on ADHD medication? And I was like, 
maybe yes. no i don't know <laughs> like i don't know your grandson you know uh <laughs> like but that's the kind of emotion that that hearing me speak can instill in a person if they're not prepared for what i'm about to say well i feel like situations like that if if they feel a bit triggered oh, sorry triggered about you know in you know in such a way that she did then maybe that's some self-reflecting she needs to do. Oh, I agree with you. And in fact, I I put into my speeches now, uh, I ask the audience to do a bit of mindfulness. I say, if at the end of my speech, you feel upset or you feel angry, sit back for a second and say, am I upset because he made me feel uncomfortable or am I upset because I honestly believe he's wrong? I want to hear your response. Don't get me wrong. I want to hear from you. But those are two very different emotions. And if you think mm-hmm. I'm wrong, I want to hear why you think that beyond just because I said so. Right. But if you if I made you uncomfortable, I'm really interested in that because that's where we learn when we're uncomfortable. Yeah, got you, got you. Jay, where can people find you online, my friend? Well, my website is jayshiffman.com, which is J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com. And uh, I'm on social media at jayshiffman or choose your struggle at everything. If you search for one and don't find me, search for the other one. Uh, I've had people reach out to me over TikTok. I mean, I want people to reach out. Like that is the goal because we cannot do this alone. If you're struggling right now, I've been where you are. It sucks you feel very alone. I was there. I understand. Please reach out and check out the Choose Your Struggle podcast wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening to this right now, don't stop listening. Keep listening, but click over to the other screen and search for Choose Your Struggle and keep up the great work, you, because I love your website. I love everything you're doing. Uh, you know, I, I love compliments. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> So that's it for this week, everyone. Uh, If you would like to head to our uh, Apple podcast page and leave us a rating and review, it really helps with the algorithm that absolutely no one has any idea of how it works. So do that (laughs) for me. Um, I'd like to thank Jay Schiffman for appearing on the pod this week. So thanks very much for that, Jay. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I'm going to go read some articles on Soda and Telepath now. And we're going to leave this on one final thought. If you've learned anything from the last couple of years, look after you and yours. And that's it for me, everyone. Till next week, this has been my kind of weird pod. Take it easy. Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.